1 Kings 19. We're just going to skip across this now because this is our fourth week, I think it is. Elijah, the man, a myth and his mission. Elijah, a man, the man, a myth and his mission. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're just going to skip across these, then we'll move on to another chapter. First one, we had Elijah's fame. And Elijah told all Jezebel all that, and pardon me, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah did. There was his fame. And then verse 2, he had Elijah's foe. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That was his foe. And remember Jezebel, Ahab's wife. Um, Don't forget that she is a woman who controlled the northern kingdom of Israel, where the ten tribes were, uh, the ten tribes of the north. She controlled them through Ahab. She controlled Ahab, her husband, and she controlled the worship also in the nation. And I want you to note these things because where we hope to go this morning, I'm maybe going to finish this this morning, where we hope to go, we can look at these uh, nations of ours. We can look at the British Isles. We can look at um, the United Kingdom and Ireland and so forth and how spirit is through it as well. And then thirdly was Elijah's fear in verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Then Elijah's flight in verse 4, but he he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Then in verse 4, we had Elijah's fainting and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And then we had Elijah's food, the angel's food. He then slept under, in verse 5, he then slept under a juniper tree. Behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. We had Elijah's frailty then in verse 7. And the angel said when he came the second time, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. Looking at when things are too great for us, God knows about it. Elijah's frailty was he couldn't make it on his own. And then we looked at Elijah's fortitude in verse 8. And he arose and did and eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty. As in 40 nights. That's Elijah's fortitude. And then we have Elijah's father, who is God, in verse 8 as well. He went unto Horeb, the Mount of God. Horeb, the Mount of God. Now we have looked at those quite extensively. And now we're going to ask you to turn to 1 Kings 17. We are reversing back in time. This mic's dropping in and out a bit, is it? Will I move it down maybe and try it there? It just seems to be dropping in and out. We'll look at 1 Kings 17, please, and verse 1. And this is what it says. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years according to to my word. Now remember, we're looking at Elijah the man, a myth. Is he a myth? He just appears out of nowhere. And of course then we're going to look at 
Elijah's ministry. So let's look, first of all, we have looked at the man for three weeks. Let's look, was Elijah just a myth? Because he appears out of nowhere. He wears, as it were, just into the palace or wherever he had met Ahab. We're not told that he disguised himself. We're not told that he put on some sort of different clothing. We're just told that he went onto Ahab. And notice he was more aware. He was more conscious of God than he was of Ahab, who he stood before and who stood before Elijah. In other words, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, he says, I'm standing before you, Ahab, but I'm really standing before the Lord God of Israel. I think sometimes, brothers and sisters, we must understand that we have to get to the place, to the point, and to the time where the church, we're going to look at it in a moment, that is the born-again, blood-washed church, they need again to stand upon their feet in these days. They need to get a consciousness of God, not that we just worship on a Sunday and then we leave on Sunday and we go and do our own thing during the week, but rather that we are conscious of the Lord every single day, every moment of every hour, knowing God is within us as believers He is with us and that you and I, even though we stand before men, women, people, governments, whether it be for whatever reason, but that we stand before them and we are more conscious. We're more conscious of God and what God says. We're more conscious of what the Word of God says than what man says and the rules of man. So first of all, was Elijah just a myth? If he is or was just a myth, then you and I need to look at something in particular. The region where he lived is given to us, and that's all we really know. The region of Gilead. It was a mountainous region, and Jordan was to the west. Bashan was to the north. The Arabian Plateau was to the east and Moan and Ammon was beneath to the south of the land of Israel. So a man whom we know nothing about, that's all we're told and he appears in the palace. Notice a man who came from an undisclosed particular pointed out area, family or place. A man who was surrounded by barren lands A man who was surrounded by ungodly men and women. A man who was surrounded on the left hand, on the right, north and south and east and west. This man, Elijah, appears out of nowhere. And some may deem it to think that he was some sort of myth, that he wasn't really true at all, that the stories of him were not correct. And yet this man, he bears the name of Yahweh, or the name of God, meaning this, 
that his name means my God is Yah, or my God is Yahweh. This man, as we have looked at, had like passions as us. This man was flesh and blood and bone. Let me just change this mic. It's dropping in and out. The sound technician, don't you? So this man, Elijah, seems to pop out of just nowhere. And he's a fully grown man. And of course, we looked at how all of these things in 1 Kings 19, that's why I read them out. He had fears. He was frail. He was human. And the Bible points these things out to us. And it lets us know that he was no superman. He was no particular man that was extra strength and special in the sense of in himself. But he was a man who knew the Lord. He was a man who knew God's word. And before he went in 1 Kings 17 into the palace of Ahab to come before him, who would, by the way, have no second thought of killing him. No second thought of slaying him. We find that there he stands in front of Ahab, and as he stands in front of him, he declares the word of the Lord. He had to have a relationship with God before he went there. And if he didn't have a relationship with God before he went there, he couldn't have brought the word of the Lord. You see, brothers and sisters, it's in that place of relationship that you and I get the word of the Lord. It's in that place of relationship, of prayer, and fasting, as we even talked about later. It's in that place where we get the word of the Lord for ourselves, for situations, for life, and even for the things that's happening in our land and in our government. Now, take note on this. Elijah is able to declare a cessation of Jew and rain. And he says it wouldn't rain, nor would there be dew on the land. That is in the northern kingdom of Israel, according to his word. And we're told later in the scriptures, it was like that for three and a half years. Imagine that, three and a half years. We find it hard to, to understand how we can have rain, be without rain for three and a half days here, never mind three and a half years. But he went and declared what God had told him. Do you think it was easy for him? Do you think this was easy for Elijah to go and declare the word of the Lord? Do you not think Elijah had to really be sure that this was off God before he said it? For, for what if it didn't happen? Maybe Ahab would have had him decapitated. Son and half, as other prophets were in northern Israel. So he declares a cessation of rain. And surely the thought must be to many that this man, as I said, must be like an angelic person. But he wasn't. He was flesh and bone and blood like you and I. So this should give us hope this morning. 
this should encourage you this morning that how God can speak to a person, how God can empower a person, and how God can use a person in a nation, in a situation. So James says in James 5 in the New Testament, in verse 17, Elias or Elijah. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You see, the Bible will always interpret the Bible. We don't need to go and try and add things into it to try and make it fit our theology, as many do. So when we say that it happened, we look for it to happen other places. Do you know Elijah, if he's a myth, his name is mentioned 69 times in the Old Testament and 30 times in the New Testament, only he's called Elias because of the Greek language. Notice here, James 5, Elias or Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. See the term here, subject to like passions. It's a word homeopathis in the Greek original text. Homeopathis. And when it's boiled down to it, this term came from a, a German scholar, or pardon me, a German doctor called Samuel Henneman. And what he did was he took this word, like passions, and he made what you and I would know today as homeopathy, homeopathic medicines. And that's what he stood for, that like can he like, that's the idea of it. In other words, like can he like, for example, if you go for your flu job, I don't, but maybe you do. If you go for your flu job, they say that there's a, a like will heal your like. It's a, a case of, they say it's a dead cells of the flu virus to heal that flu that you would be getting to help you through that. And that would be a similar sense. And of course, we look at the vaccines today. And they're saying when you take it, it's like, well, maybe he like, and it's not. It is actually proteins that change. It's different. The idea here for subject to like passions is that everything that Elijah had went through and was going through, you and I will understand it because we're human. But we will always take courage as well and also take courage because we are able to say, well, if he has done this, if God has used him like this, then he can use me. And why am I bringing you this this morning? Because, God willing, as we finish this message, I believe that we are, and I have preached this a few times, and it's in more in-depth on this point I'm going to come to this, this morning. Uh, it's more in-depth. But I have preached it that there is an Elijah company to be raised up before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is an Elijah company. Elijah is one of the most highly revered prophets in, uh, among the Jews today. In fact, in the Cedar Passover, 
uh, many families actually leave a place at the table for him in case he comes because it says that he will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We'll look at it in a moment. But the problem is they have missed it. And the Elijah to come will be the, 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 the move of the Spirit in the body of Christ to reach our lands and to reach our nation before the coming of the Lord. So as I said at the very beginning of these studies, that the first one is that we were looking and I was applying it parts one, two, and three to each and every one of you. I was applying it to parts one, two, and three that, you know, how we fear and the things. But now that we have applied those, our fears and our frailties and to trust God and get into the Word. And now I want to look at what the Scripture says about this Elijah company. For what if it could be you and I in CET? What if God would start using us to reach the United Kingdom, Ireland, further afield? What if God would raise up men and women in here that we, he would also raise up men and women elsewhere, that we would be standing in these dangerous and last days that we're in. But what does the Scripture say about it? Let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. For example, if you will, in Acts 14, Acts chapter 14, I want to look at this like passions, that you'll get this, that Elijah was a person like me, traits like me, flesh and blood and bone like me, with frailties and fears and had his own foes like me. Remember Jezebel, the controlling spirit, nationally in the house of Israel. Remember Jezebel controlling through the church in Revelation chapter 3. The controlling spirit of this woman. And we spoke about that. And you and I being human beings, we think, well, can we really do it? Can God really use me? Sure, who am I? And there is a controlling spirit in our nation, all nations at the moment. This one world government, the elitists, they're bringing every one of us into subservience to them. And whether it be to see and test how, how much we will be controlled. And, and they infiltrate our hearts and our minds. And they take our hearts and our minds and they, they make it subservient to them through programming. Through news bulletin, fear comes in like Elijah had. And they take it and they want to build their one world revived Roman Empire in Europe. And then, of course, in the United States, they want to build theirs and they want to keep building. And so what they'll do is they'll tell the people about fear. They'll tell you how much you have to fear. We don't deny there's something there. We don't deny there's people dying, by the way. We don't deny any of it. But they tell us through mixed up figures to cause everyone to fear. 
to, to run and hide, as it were. And then what they do is they tell you how big government is going to be your big brother and how he will not only look after you, but watch your every move and step. And how he wants to take your riches, in other words, to bring in Marxist communism. And how they want to then take that. And and while the people are in fear, they set out then programs of worship, how to worship, when to worship, where to worship. And they tell you how you're allowed to worship. And everyone comes in the control of a Jezebel spirit. Then they start bringing us, we must all come into a unity of oneness together, that there's no more relying on Scripture, but the Scripture, even for many Christians, is not the Word of God, but the Scripture is the prescription. And the Scripture of of many people is what the government dictates. And it's what they're saying to us. And people are afraid across our land. And they're afraid in the church. And I've said it before, even preachers who were standing up with the fist, no, we shall not be shaken and we shall not be moved. And and they're, they're afraid because they've been showing up. You know what this virus has done and the government's agenda? It has shown us up. It has tested hearts about the love of Christ. Many hearts have failed. Elijah was a man with fears. Elijah was a man with passions, like you and I. In Acts chapter 14, in verse 8, there was a crippled man from his mother's womb. And in verse 11 it says, that he is healed in verse 11. Uh, the, the, the people are crying, the gods, notice, the people are crying, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. They're thinking here that Paul and Barnabas, these two apostles now, they're thinking that these are gods, one of the plethora of gods. In verse 12 it says, and they called Barnabas Jupiter, and Paul Mercurius, because he was a chief speaker. And see, that's what's happening now. It's, they're starting in our nation again. What, what is happening happened in Israel. What happened then in the New Testament. And what's happened throughout time is, is, is that people have started to elevate men, even in church, as God. They even think that there's healing in the hands of some so-called faith healers. And I believe in healing. But healing comes from the Lord. And they thought that these men were gods of their making. Verse 14, it says, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, Why do you these things? We are also men of like passions with you. I'm just a man, Paul says. This is the great apostle who wrote probably almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He says, I'm not a god. I'm a man. Don't worship me. Don't venerate me. 
I'm a man like you. In other words, you and I, you and I are human beings. You and I are the same. And we see this in Israel. We see this at the time of Elijah. When they follow the fire come down from heaven for a little while. Notice here, Elijah was a man, subject to like passions. Will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please? 1 those who think that maybe God only uses the man, the woman, who are better off, that's wrong. Better off, brothers and sisters, I was the chiefest of sinners. I was the chief. I don't, I'm not proud of it. I don't boast in it. I regret it. I hate the thought of it. But I was the chiefest of sinners. I was on a broad road to destruction. I was on my way to hell. I was on the road of a Presbyterian church. I wasn't going to heaven. And I wasn't saved. But Jesus came along and he touched me. And we find that people think that, well, they must have grown up like this. No. Alcoholism, drug addiction. Let me see who God chooses this morning. Who does God choose to use? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are. Why, that no flesh should glory in his presence. God takes those in the gutter. He takes us from the guttermost, saves us to the uttermost. He takes us from the mire and puts us in a heavenly choir. That's what he does. He doesn't look to see if you're a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Church of Ireland or a Roman Catholic or you're a, a Muslim or a Mormon or whatever. God chooses whom he will. And God does the saving. Notice this. This man's background, he's prophesying to a king and he's prophesying to the nation. He's here as a man. One man at this point. He's here as a man before Israel. Oh, that God would raise up a man. God would raise up men for our nation. For this Israel, Britain of ours. For Ireland. Oh, that God would raise up a man or men again. Notice. Very little is known. And this man comes out of nowhere. And yet God had him in training in a mountainous area. 
maybe a man, even a woman is here training, in training in, a, in where you are, that God is going to use you for something really, really special. Like they said to Esther when the Jews were relieved from death from Haman, Mordecai says, who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Your background doesn't matter. Your past is forgiven and forgotten when you are repentant of your sin and washed by faith in the blood of Christ and trusting in him only and solely. Your past is gone. Your future is certain. Listen to the words of my pastor, Pastor McConnell. He used to say, and he said it on a regular basis, brother, sister, to the saved, this life is a training ground for the life that is to come. What you go through is a training ground for the life that is to come. My friend in America, Pastor Jennings, many of you know him, you've met him. He said these words, he says, we are in training for reigning, R-E-I-G-N now. We are in training for reigning and we're in schooling for ruling. That's where we are today. So Elijah is mentioned, if he's a myth, he's mentioned in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, and James. I don't think there's a myth because Christ even speaks of him. In Malachi chapter 4, the last book of your Old Testament. Listen to what Malachi prophesies. Now notice this is the last book of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, now Malachi is saying this, and take note, Elijah is dead here hundreds of years. Hence, the Jews think that he's going to be at the Cedar Passover, maybe come to sit with their dinner. That will be his coming. They leave a space for him. But as I said, they have missed it. They have missed Messiah because they have missed Christ, and they have also missed Elijah. Stay with me to show you something. Time has flown. We had so much going on, and time went on this morning, and we're running. We're going to run a bit late. We'll try not to keep you too late. Notice between... The book of Malachi finishing and then the gospel starting. There's 400 years there of a gap where God did not speak to Judah. Israel are gone. 400 years. Now there is what's known as the Apocrypha was in the early Bibles, but they were deemed that they were uh, not inspired and so they were taken out. Some of them are good for history and for different things. And some of them are a bit, well, to be desired. But for 400 years where God didn't speak, and the la- one of the last things that he says to the nation is, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. That's why they're still waiting. For 400 years would be a long time without God's word, wouldn't it? Yet we're starting to see we're moving into a famine of the word of God. As the Lord had prophesied, Behold, there will be a famine of the word where many churches are now starting to do away with the word and start to have program. 
starting to have settees up on the platform while you have a cup of tea and talk about it. You know what this Bible tells me? That faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We're told the apostles went and they preached Jesus unto them. Notice here, brothers and sisters, so Malachi makes this prophet, gives this prophecy under inspiration, and then 400 years pass. You see, when we look at what the Lord Jesus said, just let me find my place because I've messed it up a little bit. The Lord Jesus had said to the disciples that he would send Elijah the prophet, or he had said to Malachi, would send Elijah the prophet, but he said to his disciples that Elias or Elijah had already come. In Matthew 11 and verse 14, and I have to do this quickly for it's time, we're usually nearly leaving by this time. Matthew 11 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus says, If you will receive, this is Elias, which was to come. Speaking of John the Baptist, the fiery preacher in the wilderness. If you can receive this, he says, this is Elijah to come. Jesus said that. And then in John chapter 1 and verse 1, the, the Jews are asking John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And they asked him, what, what then, art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Now Jesus said he was Elijah. And John the Baptist said he wasn't Elijah. Is it a contradiction in the scripture? So the Bible contradicts itself, does it? No. Let the scriptures interpret the scriptures here. Jesus said he was Elias or Elijah. John the Baptist said he was not that prophet. So how do we fix this? In fact, in verse 23, if you're taking notes, write it down. He says, I am the one prophesied by Isaiah the prophet 700 years before. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. But I'm not Elijah. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Here is Scripture interpreting Scripture to settle the argument and the question for us. The angel Gabriel visits Zacharias, the tomb of John the Baptist, in Zacharias' wife Elizabeth's womb. He says, and he shall go, the angel says to Zacharias, and he shall go before him. Notice the words, in the spirit and power of Elias, or in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So the scriptures tell us, Jesus says he was, John the Baptist says he wasn't, but the angel came to Marriott and said this here. He says, listen, John the Baptist is going to come in the spirit of and power of Elijah. In other words, the same Holy Spirit who guided Elijah will guide John the Baptist. And we know that John the Baptist was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit 
from his mother's womb. So it's fulfilled. Are you with me? Everybody with me? Okay. So it's been fulfilled. He was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And by the way, the first one to recognize the unborn child, you know who it was? An unborn child. It was John the Baptist. He leapt in his mother's womb when Mary told him that she was going to have a child. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to round up with this. I have so much more. On, I, I'm maybe not doing another week. I'm sure you're getting tired of this subject. Mayor's commentary says this about the house of Israel at the time of Elijah. It was a, it was a crucial time in the history of Israel. It looked as if the worship of the true God might be completely eliminated in the northern kingdom. We can see that in Britain today, can't we? United Kingdom today. I'll carry on. The land was swarmed with the priests of Baal or Baal and of the groves. In other words, false religion and worship. The place was everywhere with it, filled with it. Proud of favor, glorying in the sudden rise to power, insolent, they were greedy, licentious, and debased. The fires of persecution were lit and began to burn with fury. The whole land seemed apostate. All of the thousands of Israel, only 7,000 remained who had not bowed the knee or kissed the hand to Baal. But they were paralyzed with fear and kept so still that their very existence was unknown by Elijah in the hour of his great loneliness. Elijah runs. Remember, he flees his flight. And when he runs, what happens? He says to the Lord, I, even I am, only I am left. And the Lord says, I have yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal nor kissed his hand. And Elijah knew nothing about them. He says, I'm the only one. I wonder, brothers and sisters, how many are out there whom God is preparing to raise up? I wonder how many are out there who God is working on, young men and young women, maybe from Sunday school days right up, and God is just going to suddenly bring them out. I wonder how many are out there this morning, now this afternoon. So notice this. Our land looks as though we have all sorts going on and ungodly laws. Jezebel is everywhere where she is in spirit ruining, ruining through many church circles and through our government. What can you and what can I do? I love this quote from John about John Knox. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, listen to what it says. He said, he said, a man with God is always in the majority. A man with God is always in the majority. Notice here is someone again raised up at the time in Scotland. Notice what it said of Mary, Queen of Scots. This is what she was reported to have said. I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe. What about that for a prayer life, eh? 
I fear John Knox's prayers more than all the assembled armies of Europe? When was the last time they would say that about the church? Let's be honest. Many of us, including me, we get to the place where it was, don't tell them all the things online, because if you do, you'll get into a whole debate and trouble about it. It's not true. Brothers and sisters, I leave you with this, a quote again from John Knox. He writes, as touching nature, I am a worm of this earth, and yet a subject of this commonwealth. But as touching the office wherein it hath pleased God to place me, I am a watchman. For that reason, I am bound in conscience to blow the trumpet publicly. It's time, Christian, for you and I, may CET, set the trumpets to our mouths and blow to sound the alarm. Blow to sound the alarm. God raised a man of flesh and blood like you and I and used him to prophesy the rain stopped and fire fell. It's not up to you and I to count the numbers. It's not up to you and I to worry about the numbers. How many has come? How many will come? How many will follow? It's up to you and I to do our job. Blow the trumpet, sow the seed, and water it with your prayers. Finish with this. 7,000. Maybe speaking this another time. 7,000. Do you know what's prophetic there too? For a thousand is a millennium. And seven is the number of perfection. And you know, from Adam to now, it's 6,000 years. And when Jesus comes, how close is he if that be the case? When Jesus comes, it's number seven. It's number seven. God has reserved for himself. Let us pray a minute. Father, would you, would you reserve your people, Lord, to bring us out at the right moment, at the right time, in the right place? Would you help us to lift the trumpet, Lord? Lord, maybe take us, as it were, the spiritual shofar, and Lord, walk with it wherever we go. Maybe take it, Lord, would you raise men and women up, Lord, that they would be unafraid and unashamed of Christ to blow the trumpet to sound an alarm in all this holy mountain. Lord, that we would know and that we would hear, Lord, what you're doing among our lands and our nations. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and into our lives. And, oh God, that we would know your voice and your leading. Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And would you glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in all we do. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.